Well, it's Wrestling Observer, not quite live. It's Jim Valley, and I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was the bots. They're after me now, or what. But for some damn reason, we could not get the tie line, the connection between me and sports byline to work. And we tried everything. I tried resetting it on my end. They tried resetting it on their end. We tried using different IP addresses. We tried a lot of different things in our power. And I don't know, just one of those things. And I don't know. I'm pissed. I'll tell you that. I'm goddamn fucking pissed off because I hate technical issues. And I wanted to do a show. It's only my second live show back. Wanted to get some momentum going. Plus, I'm sure there are people that are listening going, Is Jim back in the hospital? Is he dead? Close. Not quite. Just pissed. But dead serious about going to Itchy and Scratchy Land. Anyway, here we are, it's Jim, and I don't know, the bad news is, we didn't get on the radio, the good news is, I can fucking swear, because I'm just going to do a podcast. I spend all of this time preparing a mediocre show just for you, so damn it, I'm going to record it and give you my blatherings here from the Polyester Pleasure Palace on the shores of Lake Washington or as close as I can get in my price range. So we have got a show for you. This is the spot, this is the two and a half minute segment where I promote everything. And so I would say coming up on the show, have we got a show for you? We have got a totally 80 show for you today. We've got the Rock and Roll Express. We've got the Midnight Express. We've got the Panda Express. Wait, no. We don't have the Panda Express. We've got, though, more tag teams than you could fit in the back of the Fabulous Ones van. And the difference between top ten tag teams of all time and just your favorites. That's kind of a thing with me. I hate when people go... Oh, they're the greatest of all time, and they just list their favorites. It's fine to list your favorites and have your favorites, but there's a difference, and we'll talk about that coming up. Plus, speaking of 80s and bots, Tony Khan does not say, Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. No! Tony Khan is yelling at more bots than C-3PO. Plus, we'll talk about the Lacey Evans that I predicted three years ago, Wheeler Yuta hitting a gusher on Rampage, the name game in WWE, and why you do want your favorite wrestler to get a name change, and also give you an update. I went and saw my throat doctor this week, and she seems to think that this is about as good as it's going to get. So, I may get another steroid injection in my vocal cords, but I need to check the Observer's Wellness Policy to make sure I can do that. So, we are not live, we are recorded, but still trying to bring you a show two weeks in a row. So, it's Jim Valley. We'll pretend to take a break here for, for boner pills or somebody's trying to hawk you some book or a pillow or some damn thing but so we'll take a break here pretend to take a break come back and uh, I'll pretend to come back after the commercials hang on one second and we're back (laughs) it's Jim Valley and it's right now music should be playing under me and I'm gonna kill so I would be killing some time so the music is done and then when they edit this later so anyway I'll put in some pithy comment to kill time over music is what I do so imagine there's butt rock music here and I'll say something like it's Jim Valley and if WWE 2K23 doesn't give us a jackass match what's the point of living by the way 2K better be working on giant hand and mousetrap physics because I want Wee Man to pop out of the ring sort of like Boogeyman did in the backstage segments in the WWE games in 06 or 07 whichever whichever year that was remember those 
That's what I want, 2K. So be working on that jackass match for next year if you want to sell a bunch of games. Okay, so the music would end now, and I would start uh, talking. And this is where I would do the promos for things that I have coming up. So, either way, the effing king of recovery is back. Some people say the fucking king of recovery. Other people say the fucking king of recovery. Seriously, I had to check my own t-shirt the other day to check for my catchphrase. And it is the fucking king of recovery, by the way. Hashtag FKOR. But I'll answer to either one. And you can still get your Jim Valley t-shirts, by the way, at Pro Wrestling Tees. And I'm also, by the way, working on a hashtag because of the fans t-shirt. So stand by for details on that. So since I'm not doing this show live, usually with the live show, particularly during the week, Brian will run down a lot of news because that's where people get their news over the radio and hear it in audio form. But since this is recorded, chances are you've already been to the website or you've already been on social and got your news like a normal person. So, I have a whole bunch of news, like results from Japan, New Japan Hyper Battle, and things like that. I'm not gonna go over all the results, because we're not live. I'll just cover a couple of the highlights. For example, Sonata vacating the United States Championship, and it looks like it's gonna be a rematch between Tanahashi and Osprey for the title on May 1st at Wrestling Dantaku. Also, we have new IWGP Tag Team Champions as the Great Okan and Jeff Cobb defeated Hiroki Goto and uh, Yoshihashi to win the tag titles. Jeff Cobb won with the Tour of the Islands. Um, Taichi defeated Toriyanu for the Provisional King of Pro Wrestling Championship. Uh, who cares? Um, and then Okada defeated Zack Sabre Jr., no surprise, to retain the IWGP title. After the match, Naito was challenged by Okada. He walked to the ring, accepted the challenge. So that's the main event May 1st for Wrestling Dantaku. Also, Fightful Select is reporting that Joe Hennig formerly known as Curtis Axel, and Arya Navari were both backstage working as producers, getting uh, tryouts, I guess. I guess Hennig reportedly involved helping produce the Sasha Banks-Liv Morgan match under Tyson Kidd, which was a very good match. And Navari helped produce the Drew McIntyre-Sammy Zayn match under Abyss. Uh, Smackdown after WrestleMania, we saw some debuts and some new names. You know, Everybody makes a big deal about new names in WWE, and I don't know why. I mean, this has been going on for 40 years, nearly 40 years, 38 years. WWE's always changed names or often ignored backgrounds or was just very vague about their background. I mean, just off the top of my head, uh, they changed Steve Regal's name to William Regal, Shane Helms to Gregory Helms, Tyler Black to Seth Rollins, Viper to Dewdrop. There's a million other names. So now Raquel Gonzalez is Raquel Rodriguez, which is not a big deal. I guess her real last name is Gonzalez, so maybe they wanted to own her name outright, or maybe they wanted the R and the R, the alliteration, two R's, Raquel Rodriguez, who knows? Uh, Marcel Bartel is now Ludwig Kaiser. I know it kind of harkens back to World War One and Kaiser Wilhelm. I, you know, I guess his real name is Marcel Bartel. I, I don't even think I knew that, but of course, WWE is going to change it if it's his, if it's real name. And no word yet on uh, what's going on with uh, Eichner yet. So we'll figure that out. I know that Dave and Garrett wondered if uh, maybe it was a size thing. And I was just curious. I looked up online. Yeah, poor Fabian Eichner. He's only six foot and like 220. So what a poor little small man Fabian Eichner is. Of course, Walter has been Gunther for a while. WWE obviously wants something that that it owns. And, you know, 
If you don't get that by now, you should understand, you know, trademarks are a big deal. And WWE sees being a part of its marketing machine and being on its TV as a privilege and a commercial for you. I mean, it was no surprise that he's Gunther. And also people are complaining about Marcel or Gunther losing to Braun Breaker on NXT. I figured that was he was going to get called up. That's what they do these days. I know some people complaining about it. You should figure out these patterns by now, people. Come on. Do you not watch any of these shows? I guess that's why we're here to, to explain these things. But come on. What do you do? Uh, Butch, speaking of name changes, made his official match debut on uh, SmackDown. And I saw people on social making a big deal about how Pete Dunne deserves a better. Really? I mean, Pete Dunne is a fine wrestler. He had a great run as UK champion, and that's a great thing for a guy his size to get. But it's not like Pete Dunne was a great draw and selling tons of tickets. And Pete Dunne, the wrestler, has Pete Dunne is not going to get over on SmackDown. That audience is not trained and conditioned for a wrestler like Pete Dunne. If he went out there, he would get lost in the shuffle. And Brian explained it. Vince is doing him a favor. By repackaging him as Butch, you give him a, a tough name, and you give him the background that he's a he's a little scrapper, he's a bulldog, he's a fire plug, you know. I have a friend who you may or may not have heard of in wrestling. His name was Bart Sawyer. I haven't talked to him in years. He's in a he's in a, a convalescent home these days. He's not doing well these days as far as health and I, and I wish him the best. You may know him best. He was The Rock's tag team partner in USWA when they were tag team champions when The Rock was Flex Cavana. Or you might know him as Roddy Piper's assistant. Uh, he did some matches on Nitro, I think, and also on uh, Worldwide. And I saw this contract in 1996. Bart Sawyer, and I, and I saw it with my own eyes, he showed me. Bart had a contract to go to the then WWF. He took pictures. They did everything. I saw, I saw the promo pictures. He showed them to me. And guess what? Bart Sawyer was dressed up in a little hat and a tank top and pants, kind of, these little shorts. And you know what the name they gave him was? Stop me if you've heard this before. Little Billy Badass. That's right. Everything gets reused in WWE. And that character, which basically Little Billy Badass, was Crash Holly, who, of course, came later. And if you look at the history of WWE, look at Pac as Neville. Vince gave him a cape. Pac hated it and left and sat out his contract. But Vince has this Mighty Mouse character. And that's what Butch is right now. This little scrappy tough guy. And yeah, they're dressed like the bullies from A Christmas Story. He's dressed like Scott Farkas' sidekick. But... Vince is trying to push him and make him more memorable. Is it ridiculous? Sure. But a lot of ridiculous things have eventually gotten over in WWE. So, I don't think it's a bad thing that Butch is now a Vince McMahon creation. It can only help Pete Dunne. Same thing with Gunther. WWE and Vince has a type. And I feel like Gunther is everything that WWE wanted Ludwig Borga to be as that foreign menace. I mean, seriously, can you imagine if Gunther 
came along 20 or 35 years ago. Can you imagine Gunther derailing the Lex Express? Or Gunther coming up against Mr. America Hulk Hogan? Gunther would have sold so many LJN action figures. That check, Gunther's check, would have been humongous. And if you talk to wrestlers who have worked in the past, Vince will tell they will tell you the same thing about Vince. This is not new. Vince loves his own creations. He pushes them farther. I was getting ready this week for an interview. I'm doing a historical thing on a podcast. And uh, I was kind of preparing, watching um, a shoot interview with King Kong Bundy, uh, Sean Oliver, which is up on Sean Oliver uh, Kayfabe Commentaries, their official YouTube, which he just launched recently. And he's got one of his shoots with the late King Kong Bundy. Now, think about King Kong Bundy. He was giant. And King Kong Bundy went to world class and Georgia and different territories. And he had a name in wrestling. And he went to WWF as King Kong Bundy. and He did okay. He got a WrestleMania main event. But look at him. King Kong Bundy was tailor-made for WWE. He's giant. He's bald. He's pasty, he looks different, you know. He even says, King Kong Bundy in the interview, says King Kong Bundy looks like what the average person thinks a wrestler should look like, or would look like. And King Kong Bundy makes a great point that in many ways he didn't have the wrestler's mind, that he wasn't into all the, all the bullshit and game playing. He was happy to do it, and he was happy to be there. He just didn't take that extra kind of, for lack of a better term, carny step. He said if he was smart, he would have gone to Vince and said, You know, Vince, I'm not happy. Give me a new name and a new gimmick. Because King Kong Bundy knows now, in hindsight, that he would have probably gone further and lasted longer in WWE if he was Vince's creation. And he's right. So don't feel bad for Raquel Rodriguez, or Butch, or Gunther, or uh, Kaiser Wilhelm, or whatever the guy, what is, what is his name? I gotta look it up again, Kaiser. Ludwig Kaiser, sorry. I had to get my uh, German name translator out. Anyway, generator, name generator, I mean. Anyway, don't feel bad for all these people because that's the path to success, to get the most dolls, to get the most marketing, to get the most payoffs and the bigger contracts and more longevity to be that Vince McMahon creation. So don't be unhappy if your favorite wrestler gets a name change. Be happy for them because the odds are they're going to do better in WWE than they would otherwise. Don't hate the name. Hate the game. Speaking of names, Madcap Moss and Baron Corbin went at it on SmackDown, so the split appears to have happened. You know, Madcap Moss has got a look that Vince has to love. Um... I saw him do some pregame stuff at WrestleMania. He's got some pretty good poise on his own. He's apparently well-liked. and I think working with Corbin is just going to help him go farther in his career. So we'll see what happens with Madcap Moss. And if maybe he'll get a new name change and get some updated clothes. Because, I don't know, those clothes are kind of ridiculous. But again, it's Vince's creation. So you you got to stick with it. Another thing they did on SmackDown, they had an interview for the return of Lacey Evans. And they talked about her real-life background, how 
their parents had issues and her dad had alcohol abuse issues and her single mom raised her and they they moved around a lot and how that background made her who she is and made her what she is and the woman that she is today and they talked about her her military background and her family and everything about her and they made her more of a hero again which is kind of what she was when I predicted great things for her just you know right before she lost at the Royal Rumble when it looked like she had a ton of momentum but this taps into more about who Lacey Evans really is maybe with a little less of the red white and blue iconography and I just can't think that Lacey Evans will appeal to, you know, families who, who, who have been through that and also people who have, you know, military in their family. And I think that's, a, that's an important aspect, too. I mean, I think that you need that person who represents that. And if she's able to incorporate that, then I think that's, that's all the better to appeal to as many fan bases as possible in WWE. So hopefully Lacey Evans is off on the right foot. I think she's got tremendous presence. Is she the best wrestler? Well, she hasn't been in the past, but I personally think you can work around that. Look at uh, Red Velvet. Look at uh, so many people in in AEW. I mean, there's ways around with talent that you can use a rookie and put them in with experienced people and make them look better than they are and make them more marketable than they are. And I think you can do that with Lacey Evans. Liv Morgan beat Sasha one-on-one. A relatively competitive match. Banks did great here. Uh, Banks in the ending gave Morgan the superplex. And when they crashed down to the mat, Morgan cradled the leg and pinned Sasha Banks. Kind of an impressive win. Called it the biggest win of Liv Morgan's career. And we'll see where that goes with the uh, tag team titles and and all that. Um, As far as that goes on SmackDown. And then... In the final segment, Roman Reigns just said that he wants the Usos to unite the tag team titles. So we'll see what happens on Raw if uh, they go after the tag team titles. Then Nakamura came out. Roman Reigns gave him a hug, said, Let me give you some love because you lost your tag team partner. I know what that's about. And then as they let the embrace go, that opened the door for the Usos to super kick him. They laid him out. So it looks like Nakamura's going to be the next challenger I don't know I mean look Nakamura is great and he's done some great things and had some outstanding matches not so much lately in WWE but I mean there's no reason for the guy to kill himself in the mid card but seriously on what planet do people think that Shinsuke Nakamura is going to beat is going to beat Roman Reigns today I mean They didn't spend the last two years building up Roman Reigns for Shinsuke Nakamura. Nakamura is a great wrestler. I take nothing away from him, his credentials, and all he's accomplished. But WWE has devalued him so much in the past few years that he is not a credible threat to Roman. Those days have passed. I mean, Nakamura in his... Mike's Hard Lemonade outfit, or it looks like he's snapping into a Slim Jim, honestly, but I don't know. He's going to be more, little more than a traffic cone on the road after WrestleMania for Roman Reigns. Also announced Cody Rhodes versus The Miz for Monday on Monday Night Raw. A couple of things from Rampage. Brian Danielson tapped Trent Beretta. Swerve pinned QT Marshall. Afterwards, Ricky Starks challenged for a tag team match. So it's going to be Swerve and Keith Lee versus Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. Red Velvet qualified for the Owen Hart tournament by beating Willow Nightingale. John Moxley beat uh, Wheeler Yuta with a sleeve roll on the mat. Uh, but afterwards, William Regal offered his hand in respect to a very bloody 
Wheeler Yuta, who accepted uh, the handshake, but Wheeler Yuta, his face was the proverbial crimson mask. I don't know the last time I saw that much blood on television. I mean, that was like 1970s blood. That was a lot of blood. He, my wife walked into the room and she was like, gross. So, does that turn off an aspect of the audience? Maybe. Is that aspect of the audience more than likely to watch wrestling? That's really the question. You're always going to turn off people no matter what. The question is, are they going to be paying customers if you turn them off? And I don't know that they are. Coming up on Dynamite, Samoa Joe versus Suzuki for the ROH title. <clears throat> Coming up on Dynamite, Samoa Joe versus Suzuki for the ROH title. Adam Page versus Adam Cole in a Texas death match. And it's the biggest feud in wrestling. Not Nakamura versus Roman. Not Adam Page versus Adam Cole. Not Vince versus the Stone Cold Stunner. It's Tony Khan versus the bots. On Friday, Tony Khan tweeted, an independent study has confirmed that much of the staunch anti-AW online community aren't real individuals. It's a staff running thousands of accounts and an army of bots to signal boost them. Look closely. These aren't real people. And then he asks, who'd pay for such a wildly expensive thing? And then in another tweet, he goes on to say, research this one yourselves. You internet detectives thrive in these situations. And you know what? I'll bet he's right. I'm sure he's right. Given his analytics and his expertise in analytics for the National Football League and their football club in Europe, I'll bet, I mean, this is Tony Khan's wheelhouse. I know he's an expert on this. And according to Tony Khan, he had his suspicions and he hired an independent company outside of his own to look into it and confirm it. I'm sure that he's right. I don't question that. But, I mean, in today's modern age, doesn't everybody game the system on the internet? It's as old as having different logins on message boards. I was talking with some friends about someone in entertainment. And I was saying that I was sure that this person bought engagement because their content is so straightforward and boring. They'll post something on social like, the car is red, and it gets all kinds of likes and engagement. And I'm like, come on, those are bots. That's paid for. That's been signal boosted by something else. They're, this individual is not that popular. And even if they were, the content is so boring that it's just not worthy. And I'm not talking about their takes. Takes are different. I'm just talking about they'll just say some exposition and people go crazy for it, like old news. And... It happens in entertainment all of the time. You see it everywhere. Everybody does it. Celebrities, companies, influencers, especially influencers or creators, whatever you want to, whatever term you want to use. I have some travel YouTubers and I hate watch. I'm not going to tell you their names, but even I can tell people have grown their channels organically and then there are people who you can tell by the patterns have uh, tried to secretly buy subscribers you know in a you know very subvertly so youtube the algorithm doesn't pick up on it too much in order to get that coveted youtube button award and so they can get more free stuff and sponsors and money so you know you don't have to get a real job just be an influencer or a creator. Creator is like a term for someone who doesn't have a job. Really what it is. But anyway, 
you may ask yourself, what is the big deal? Because everybody does do it. Everybody does. I've talked about it with friends. I was like, you know, maybe I should do it because I don't get enough engagement. Why don't you guys engage my stuff enough? Jerks, get on that. Give you good stuff. You don't even engage with it. Almost die. Don't even engage with it. Can I have to rely on bots? I'm just kidding. But look, here's the thing. What is so bad about it if everybody does it? I guess the issue, Tony says, is that the bots spread lots of disinformation. And they steer engagement away from AEW accounts and toward competitors. And that is absolutely true. But on the list of dirty tricks done to competitors, does that rank in the top ten? I mean, when you look at the past, in the history of wrestling, rival competitors chained doors shut, paid wrestlers to no-show rival events, double crosses in matches like legitimate double crosses, sabotaging cars, pulling guns on each other, or, as they call it in Tennessee, another day at the office. I mean, the legend is that Vern Gagne offered the Iron Sheik money to break Hulk Hogan's leg in his WWE title match. Do you think Fern just invented that idea on the spot, assuming that it's true? Do you think that's the first time anyone has ever thought of that or tried that? I mean, buying bots, when you think about it. Vince bought time slots of competitors' TV, station, TV stations in the territory days. He bought Jack and Jerry Briscoe's stock in Georgia Championship Wrestling Incorporated to get the time slot on then WTBS. I don't know if that's a dirty trick, but it's kind of the equivalent of hiring bots and people to manage them today. It's a competitive advantage that money can buy. Now, understand two things, however. Tony Khan is telling the truth. Believe him. Vince has done a lot of things, and even though he may not understand how to game the system, he's hired people that do, and explain it to him. So don't think for a second, just because Vince is 76, that he doesn't know you've got to be competitive no matter what the platform is. He understands that better than anyone. And the other thing is that this is wrestling. Look, it's a dirty, dirty business. Don't get into thinking that just because there's a nice corporate veneer, that it's all sunshine and puppy dogs and happiness and peaches and cream. It's a dirty business. And Vince has made it to the top of a very dirty business. And here's the thing. If Vince has got an army of bots, then if you are going to compete and be his competition against his army of bots, you've got to bring out the Death Star. Now here'd be the spot where I'd give you the phone number and maybe toss to a break, but we don't have a break. There's nobody calling in, so we won't worry about that. Here's some other commercial about old people products or somebody's tapes you can buy or a pillow or boner pills or whatever, some book or something they have on whatever. Call this number for something, some old people scam that your grandparents would fall for. Just pretend this is a commercial break, okay? Taking a drink of coffee because I'm mad and I'm tired and I'm pissed. Still, I was listening to uh, Wrestling Observer Live this week and Brian mentioned that the Young Bucks are a top 10 tag team. And Semper Vivi was like he wasn't sure that they were. So I got clarification from Mike. And what Mike meant is he was talking about his own 
personal top 10, which is totally fine. You can like whoever you want. If the Mulkies are your number one personally, you enjoyed them the most, then guess what? The Mulkies are your number one. If FTR are your number one, then FTR is your number one. When I was a kid, I loved the top 40 countdowns. Oh my God, I would keep track of all of those countdowns, even though Casey Kasem was so cheesy and so boring. I was so happy when one of the stations in my area got Rick D's, because at least that had some energy. Casey Kasem is a legend, but oh my God, is he boring. So boring. And I'm so glad that Ryan Seacrest is keeping that boring tradition alive as he sucks the energy and vitality out of the brilliant Kelly Ripa each day on television. Ah, God, that show. That show used to be so great with Michael Strahan and Kelly, and now it's just a Susan snooze fest because Ryan Seacrest is a suck of all things excitement. He sucks out all energy and vitality. He's just... Ah, oh, he's so bland and boring. Yeah, he can read liner cards great. He has a nice, pleasant voice if you're the at-work radio station at your dentist's office going into Richard Marks and Adele, but oh my God, is he boring. Anyway, so getting back to, to top 10 tag teams, I tweeted out that the Bucks, like it or not, are a top 10 tag team of all time. When you're looking at the things that qualify for a legitimate top 10 tag team, are they an attraction? Do they draw money? <clears throat> are they an attraction? Do they draw money? Do they have influence? Do they have longevity? Are they, I guess that's all you need, right? That's all you need. There are the three major factors that Dave talks about when voting for the Hall of Fame, and it applies here. Did they draw money? Do they have longevity? Do they have influence? And like it or not, the Bucks check all of those boxes. Now, I got some tweets from people listing the top 10 tag teams, which they put of all time. Let me read you a couple of the lists. Somebody wrote, number one, the Road Warriors. Number two, Rock and Roll Express. Three, Dudleys. Four, Midnight Express. Five, Hardys. Six, British Bulldogs. Seven, Young Black Bucks. Eight, Harlem Heat. Nine, Edge and Christian. Ten, The Usos. Okay. Um, I would ask you, what's missing from that list? What does that list have in common? Here's another list that a friend of mine who works at a radio station in central Washington, really smart guy, really good guy. Here's his list. Here's his top 10. Number 10, Edge and Christian. Number 9, New Age Outlaws. Number 8, Wild Samoans. Number 7, Patterson and Ray Stevens. Pat Patterson, Ray Stevens. Number 6, British Bulldogs. Number 5, The Midnight Rockers. The Rockers, Shawn Michaels, Marty Chinetti. Number 4, Dudley Boys. 3, Rock and Roll Express. 2, Midnight Express. Number 1, The Road Warriors. A fine list unto itself. Again, I would ask you a couple of questions. What does that list have in common. And that guy's about my age, so he's probably late 40s, early 50s, somewhere in there. Now, here's my pet peeve. If those are the lists of your favorite tag teams of all time, those are fine, fine lists. No problem. This is my pet peeve. If you have seen every tag team on your top 10 of all time list, you're rating your favorite wrestlers, not an all-time list. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's my pet peeve. <clears throat> Here's some people missing from that top ten list. There's the Dusics, the Riot Squad, who are sort of almost like the original Freebird. 
birds. You've got the Hell's Angels, the Freebirds, obviously, the Assassins, Ole and Gene Anderson, the Kangaroos, Perez and Raka, even the Fabulous Ones, and even the Moondogs. I talk about their run in Memphis. It's pretty impressive considering where the business was and it was like the mid early 90s and they drew really really well you know not to mention you got the sharp brothers you've got kawada and tawe you've got baba and Inoki, the funks i could i could go on and on the miracle violence connection um you know when you're talking top 10 of all time not just your favorites you've got to talk about being a draw and that's what separates so many tag teams i remember when i was at the charlotte fan fest in 16 and i got to interview road warrior animal on stage i talked about that there are some fine tag teams but so few are draws in the sense that the road warriors were a draw in the 80s, if you put the Road Warriors on a card, you were going to sell tickets. The Road Warriors sold out arenas. There's a huge reason why a big crowd reaction is called a Road Warrior pop. They drew in the United States, they drew in Japan, and they drew and they main evented pretty much everywhere for, I would say, what, seven years probably? At least. You know, 84 to 90, 90-ish, 91 maybe, something like that. That was kind of their, their peak, I would say. But they were a huge draw, like nobody's business. The Rock and Roll Express, they had a huge 1986. They did their super summer sizzler tour or whatever that was doing doing some of the the smaller arenas in the south like 5,000 people and things and they sold out they drew in mid-south for a couple of years ricky morton drew against rick flair in 1986 the problem is that they went sideways with dusty and got fired and were gone in 87 and when they came back in 88 or so, they cooled off. They were kind of in and out after that point, 1990. They went to Smoky Mountain. They made a cup of coffee in WWE. You know, the Rock and Roll Express are a top 10 tag team. They were influential. So many other tag teams copied them and still do to this day. But the case would have been stronger had there not been that conflict with Dusty Rhodes. But you can't go on coulda, woulda, shoulda. You just gotta go on what was. A huge 86, were they sort of like, I mean, the tag team itself emulated pop idols. And they sort of had a career like a pop idol. A couple of years as big fans of the younger teenage girls, and then the girls grew out of them or they got older and not quite as appealing to, to young fans. It happens to pretty much every young act. It happens to Backstreet Boys. It happens to anybody of your, your era, whoever you want to say. The British Bulldogs, they were mind-blowing in their time, but that was only about a year for their prime. I mean, they drew on the WWE B or C shows as the main event, but that was only for like about a year. And that was probably what, late 85, early 86 to late 86 before Dynamite's unfortunate industry injury. Is a year of strong business, is that enough to be considered a top 10 tag team? Certainly they had influence. A lot of people copy them, particularly dynamite kid but only only a year of drawing with where the road warriors have have a lot of time on top and think about how long have the young bucks been together they drew in ring of honor they leave ring of honor what happens to ring of honor they draw for AEW. they are a big reason why all out happened all in all of the all shows double or nothing they are a draw, not to mention 
all of the merch they sell. Granted, you know, with the Road Warriors, when they went to Japan, my friend Fumi Saito compares it to the Beatles showing up when they did their first ever press conference at the airport in Japan in Tokyo. But they going to fly to Narita or Haneda? I'm not sure. But anyway, you know, with in New Japan, the Young Bucks were, you know, junior tag, were they one-time tag team. Off the top of my head, tag team champions. But the point is they were undercard. They didn't really draw much, but... Can you tie interest in New Japan in the United States dying off when the Young Bucks left New Japan? Is there a, something you can tie there to those revenue streams? Just, just, just a question. The Dudley Boys are a great team. They main evented times during the hot period in WWE. Now, were they the draw? Or a good act, great to have on the card, in support of Rock, Steve Austin, and others. In some ways, I think because of the catchphrases and promo ability, maybe the New Age Outlaws might be considered bigger draws when it comes to WWE. That's just a guess. I could be wrong. If there's proof, then, you know, more power to them. I got, got nothing against them. And here's the weird one. The Midnight Rockers, the Rockers, Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty. Where did they draw? The AWA? That was pretty much dead. The AWA wasn't really drawing much of anything. I mean, they put on some great matches with Buddy Rose and Doug Summers. You could always count a good match, and that was kind of their role in WWE as well. And I'm sure they're kids who were inspired by the Rockers, but the Rockers are probably the most famous of the Rock and Roll Express clones. The Rockers probably more famous for breaking up than actually being a tag team. I mean, their role was to have the best match on the card every night when the WWE had people like One Man Gang and other lumbering giants. Tully and Arn, another great tag team but they were only together like a year and a half. Were they great? Of course. You know, did they win the Crockett, the NWA World Tag Team titles and WWE titles? Yes, they drew in Crockett. But again, were they more part of the overall Horseman versus Dusty's army feud? And again, look at how long the Young Bucks have been together. I mean, a very long time. And their longevity at the top is very close, if not unmatched. I mean, the Rock and Rolls have been together 30 years, but most of that has been in small towns and, and smaller events, and they draw at those events. There's nothing wrong with what the Rock and Rolls do, but they're not selling out too many arenas. But they're a great act. Don't misunderstand me. Had they gotten more longevity and not gone sideways with Dusty, they'd probably have an even greater career. I grant you that. But you can't go on that. But you can't point and say that the Bucks are a key part of the drawing package and a key reason why Tony Khan decided to start AEW. The other thing. People say that the Bucks matches lack psychology. Do they? I don't know if those people are paying attention or or what. I mean, I'm Gen X. So I was very young when Pong and Atari hit, the first generation of video games. In the United States, you can see wrestling changing with the advent of fighting games. At least, that's what I've noticed. Games like Street Fighter, Virtua Fighter, Mortal Kombat in the early 90s, then wrestling started to get faster and more action-based, which makes sense because they were trying to attract a lot of teenage and young boys. And what are they doing? They're playing video games. Wrestling does not exist in a vacuum. And if kids who grew up with fast-paced action games, when they turn on wrestling and see an hour of arm bars and 20-minute side headlocks, they're going to turn it off. And I'm not talking about psychology. 
I'm not talking about working. I'm talking about lazy matches. And believe me, I've seen plenty of them. I remember the famous Don Owen card at uh, the Portland Memorial Coliseum main event. Ric Flair defending the world title against Billy Jack Haynes and 45 minutes a 45 minute draw go back and watch it on video most of the match was a side headlock Billy Jack a side headlock on Ric Flair even as a kid I was like what a rip off match that was I was so frustrated by that match wrestling does not exist in a vacuum and if you look at the Bucks, Page versus Omega, the Bucks versus Page and Omega, for example, there was a story and a psychology to it. I have a friend who's, I don't know, he must be close to 60 or so. He looks great, but he's got a teenage son, and he likes video games. And he's got video games like me, he's got an arcade, he's got pinball, but he says that he just has a hard time adapting to games in a 3D space. He just, his mind can't wrap around it. He'd like to try, but he can't. Maybe some people just can't adapt and can't keep up. And just because you can't keep up doesn't mean that it's wrong. Because the Bucks matches often tell stories. They can be very fast-paced, but I think that's what the audience expects. Marvel movies, other comic book style movies. The action is very fast paced and wrestling competes with that in the entertainment space for the entertainment dollar. So, like it or not, the Bucks are a top 10 tag team. And if you want to make the case that the Bucks might be the greatest tag team of all time, I might listen to you. I don't know that I'm going to argue. I'm not quite sure that I'm there yet. I may be... I'm close. If I'm not there, I'm close. But if Brian thinks the greatest of all time, I'm not going to argue with Brian. I can certainly see his point that they are. It reminds me of a friend of mine. I've talked about this before. Howard Baum. Howard Baum's a cool guy. He's been another podcast you probably heard. And... He's got a phrase, he says, nothing is ever cooler than when you're 10 years old. And if the top 10 tag teams that are on your list, and you say they're the top 10 of all time, and they're all from when you were 10 years old, that's not a top 10 list. That's just your favorite. You know, I see other people say, oh, the Mount Rushmore of wrestling and Shawn Michaels is on the Mount Rushmore of wrestling and I'm like Shawn Michaels is not on the Mount Rushmore of wrestling because Shawn Michaels didn't draw enough to be on the Mount Rushmore of wrestling great bell to bell okay promo not a great promo Shawn Michaels and not a great draw maybe there were factors but it doesn't matter you can't go on that so if something is your favorite that's great. List your favorite top ten. List your favorite a million. But you can't say it's the top ten of all time or the top ten greatest if they didn't draw, if they don't have influence, and they don't have longevity. Those are my thoughts. You can tweet me at uh, Jim Valley. Uh, this has been my makeshift wrestling observer. We'll try to uh, figure out next week if we can get the show live on the air and what the fuck happened. I'm so pissed off about that. I'm very sorry. I'll try to do better next time, but uh, thanks for downloading this. And uh, let me know what you think. And send all the bots after my stuff. If you can signal boost me, I'd, I'd really appreciate that.